God, I, I pray that you would continue to speak into our hearts this morning as, as we just kind of look into your word. And, and Lord, as we celebrate communion, let it be a celebration in our hearts for what Jesus has done for us, for the things that he's called us to, for the things that he's called us out of, for the gift of your spirit. God, I know that we all come through these doors and we're all at different places in our in our life or in different seasons where we're wrestling with things or, or sometimes we just come in and life is really good. But So wherever we are this morning, I pray that you would meet us right there in our joy and in our brokenness, in our stress and in our relaxation. Meet us where we are. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so last week we kind of, we're, we're still working through the story of Lazarus. You know, I think next week we might actually get to chapter 12. Don't hold me on it, but there's a whole big section I just might skip right over because I'm really tired of chapter 11. And, and so, I mean, there's good stuff in there, but maybe not so good. So maybe there, but we're, we're still going to land in chapter um, We're going to still stay in chapter 11 today. So last week, we kind of wrestled through this whole idea of the glory of the Lord. When Jesus said, he said, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And we kind of thought about this as as being the presence of God, the presence of God in the world, his his brilliant, life-giving presence. And that's reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. God with us, Emmanuel, God incarnate, walking on this earth, engaging, speaking, eating, healing, teaching his creation. God's presence with us. And in the story, some, some people would believe. And in the story, some people, yeah, not so much. And some people would see the very presence of God. And then some people, well, not so much. And it's the same today for us in our world today. Some people, some people believe in who Jesus is. And some people don't. And some people, those who believe, will see the presence of God in their lives and all around them. And for some, some they won't. And I think one of the saddest parts of the story is some people really believe that they believe, but yet they really don't believe and they still fail to see the presence of God at work in their life. They still fail to see the presence of God around them in all the little things that take place. You know, it's interesting. Our belief or our understanding really has no bearing on God's presence. He is is always present. Now, now it has a bearing on us, whether we see, whether we perceive, whether we understand. But for God, God is always present, no matter what you believe. And so I want to encourage you, as I encouraged you last week, to believe and see Perceive the glory of the Lord. So we're going to pick up the story. We're going to read through again verse 38, and we're going to to spend most of our time in verses 41 and 42. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus yells out, move the stone. And there is, there's got to be some resistance here. Remember, he is asking these people to dig up the grave. To move the stone would be equivalent to us going to a cemetery, taking shovels, and digging up a grave. But eventually they will. And, and John doesn't record what the people must be thinking or the looks of puzzlement on their face. Only, only the words of Martha are recorded. But everybody knows that this is the fourth day. And we've looked at it over and over again. The fourth day is the day of hopelessness that there is no way that this person will rise from the dead. All human hope has, been, has gone out the window. But Jesus says, move the stone. And I, I got to wonder if people are thinking, well, why would a rabbi, why would a rabbi put himself in a situation in the presence of a dead person to possibly become ritually unclean? But Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus is not hindered at all. He is on mission, and he is going to accomplish God's mission. And the objections of people, the questions of people, will not stop him. And so he tells them, move the stone. And they roll the stone away, and he prays. And what's interesting is it's, it's in the text that he prays out loud. And first he thanks God for hearing him. It would seem that Jesus is thanking God for a prayer that, that's already been prayed. Maybe he has already prayed for Lazarus to rise from the dead, and John hasn't recorded it in his, in his text. Or maybe, maybe John wants us to understand or realize that maybe Jesus prayed in the depths of his soul, those prayers that only God hears and, and they aren't for public consumption. But whatever is going on here, Jesus thanks God that God has heard him, that God hears him. And then he, then he adds this other part of the prayer, which is, which is very interesting to me. He says, I knew that you always me. There's this confidence in Jesus, in his relationship with the Father. There is confidence that he knows who he is in relation to the Father. And I can't help but to pay attention to that word knew. Why, why use the word I knew or the statement I knew instead of I know? There's, there's, there's something going on here, and, and I believe it has to do with, with this is nothing new to Jesus. This isn't a new revelation to him that God hears him. He's confident and he has known since the beginning that God has heard his cries. God has heard his prayer. In fact, I would say that Jesus is praying like God has already answered it. I knew you always hear me. It's already happened. This is, this is the way that Jesus would approach the Father. What, what faith I mean, what, what assurance. Don't, don't you wish you prayed that way? Don't you wish you had that assurance to go to God and say, you know, I, I knew you heard me. To pray like it's already happened. Those things that you've asked for. There's a story in, in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus, he's, he's out with the boys and, he, and he's walking around and, and he's, he's headed to a place and he's hungry. So he goes and he, and he finds this fig tree and he's going to go over to the fig tree. He's going to look to see if there's, he can get a little bite to eat, right? And he goes over it. But the figs, it says in the story that the season for figs is not now. I mean, it'd be like us going trying to pick apples in February. And, and so Jesus goes up to this fig tree. It's out of season. Obviously, there, is no, there are no figs on it. And he gets a little perturbed. And so he, he, he doesn't seem to care that it's out of season. And he curses the tree. He says this, um, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. 
It's, it's kind of a harsh statement. I mean, he made the seasons. He should know when the fig tree is in season and when it's not. I don't know why he's so aggravated with this poor little tree. Bad hair day. Maybe the boys are aggravating him. We don't know. But he curses this tree, and then he goes on his way. And so he goes on his way. He's doing what he's doing. He comes back, and they, and they walk past this tree. And Peter looks at the tree. He's like, whoa. He's like, you, you killed the tree. And, and listen to what Jesus says in, in response to that. Jesus says this, have faith in God. Truly, truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will happen, it will be done for you. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Okay, I, find, I wrestle with this text quite a bit, but but. But in here, there's this, faith seems to be this quiet confidence in the power and the goodness of God. And, and this is what Jesus is demonstrating. And so, and within that faith, and within that power, and within that confidence, we, we understand that God could accomplish everything. Not just limited to what we think or what we believe, but God can accomplish everything. And it would seem to me also that there is a readiness on behalf of God, on his part, to answer all prayer that is prayed in faith. And this is what Jesus, hey, I'll tell you that mountain, head over there, it will. Believe what you pray for and it will be given to you. But, but in the Mark, in, in this text, in, in the text for John, prayer, prayer is, it's an important part of what Jesus is trying to communicate. But what I believe is, is something that's, that goes much deeper is this idea of faith. Faith should be the foundation of everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, and especially in those things that we pray for. Faith needs to be the foundation of it all. In fact, what do we call, I refer to our journey that we're on with Jesus as what? A journey of, of faith. But I want to keep it real. Faith is really hard, isn't it? I mean, I mean faith, is, faith is hard to come by sometimes. It's hard to obtain. And the Lord knows it's hard to live every day. I can't tell you how many times that I have made the decision I'm going to have faith. I am going to trust God in this situation only to find myself coming up short on that trust, only to find myself coming up short on faith. Or, or I have this tremendous desire to be a faithful or a man of faith. I mean, I, I read the stories. I read the Bible and see, see those people in the Bible, man. They're just, they're just like... Like they're in the face of tremendous adversity and they just stand firm because they have faith that God has got their back. And then you read all of the other stories uh, throughout history of men and women who have looked into the face of, of death and have st stood firm because of their faith in God. And I think to myself, I want that. I desire that. Sometimes it seems no matter how much I desire it, no matter how hard I make that decision. I come, I come up short. I come up short in my faith. Because faith is a, is a really difficult, difficult thing to understand and to live and to obtain. Abraham Heschel would write that faith finds its roots 
in the mystery of God, in the very mysteries of who God is. And in order for us to deepen our faith, we have to um, engage the mystery of God every day, more and more and more. And, and for those without that sense of awe, without that sense of mystery for God, he would argue that you're coming to a place of pridefulness, um, arrogance in who you are, arrogance in what you can do, arrogance in, in your ability, arrogance in that you have God all figured out. You have a better understanding of him than, than maybe everybody else. And then he would continue on to say that, that, that in that instance, God is no longer of utmost importance in your life. Then he would say that if God is not there, if God is not the ultimate thing in your life, if God is not the single most important thing in your life, then he would argue that he has no importance in your life at all. I'm learning and, and beginning to believe that the, the biggest obstacle to our faith, to men and women becoming men and women that, that just walk in this, this strong amazing faith is, is our contentment to be lazy, is our contentment to just kind of engage half-truths and, and half-realities. It's our human propensity to just settle. We like to settle. And, and when we settle, we, we, kind of, we kind of move into this area of indifference. And that is one of the biggest dangers of Christianity that there is. The point in our lives where we come and we begin to think that our experience with or our understanding of God becomes, becomes comfortable. That we, we just kind of are just going through it. And, and we like comfortable. Comfortable is good. We, we like to stay in comfortable. It fits well. It feels good. No one likes to be uncomfortable. And so when we land in something that's comforting or comfortable, we like to stay there. But I will say this to you, that that. Comfort sucks the life out of faith. You can't stay in the comfort zone. And, and I'm, and I'm going to say this. If you are comfortable in your relationship with God right now, or if you've even moved into the realm of, of indifference in your relationship with God right now, I would say you're moving towards faithlessness, not faithfulness. Because we can't stay comfortable. We can't be indifferent. Faith is that thing that is given to people who live their life with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not for people who are just kind of numb to life, going through the motions, almost motionless. And it will come and it will deepen. You will find yourself possessing it when you begin to stop just asking the questions. But when you start to come face to face with those questions, with those things in your life that you just cannot put words to, with those things in your life that are just, that are just pushing against you, with those things that are in your life that are, that are gnawing at you, just don't ask the question, but stand face to face and engage it. Faith comes when we begin to stand face to face with those things that are beyond us, those things that we just can't understand, the things that don't make any sense. You know, we are taught at a young age to use common sense, right? I mean, I mean, common sense, common sense is a good thing. We are taught at a young age to use it, to, to, do, to use it, to make good choices, to use common sense. We try to instill that in our children, 
to use common sense. I mean, I had a conversation with Ethan once. This is a few years ago. And, and, I, and I told him, what do you expect when you do a belly flop off the couch onto the floor? It's going to hurt. Use some common sense. And he didn't listen. And, and so, but I tried to explain to him that common sense, buddy, it's going to keep you safe. In fact, common sense, common sense will keep us alive. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but here, is, here is the direction of faith. Faith is about cultivating our uncommon sense. Cultivating things that, that just don't make sense in all. Things that you just can't put words into. Things that you just can't figure out. And then somehow engaging those things. I'm learning more and more in my life the gift of faith does not come from my experiencing certain events. The gift of faith does not come from me taking part in the miraculous or the amazing. Like so many people I've, I've talked to, if God would only do this, if God would only do this for me, this amazing thing, get me out of this situation, help me through this, then, then I would have faith. If God would only show himself that, that he can handle this part of my life, then I would have faith. The only problem with that mentality is, well, it's the Bible. Because throughout biblical history, that has been shown, has, has been proved wrong. Let me give you an example. This is out of uh, the book of Psalms. It says, he guided them with the cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food that they craved. He rained down. Oh, Technical difficulty, please stand by. I know. He rained down manna from the, for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the, all the food they can eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust, birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp all around their tents. They ate till they were gorged. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. This is a story about when Israel comes out of of Egypt and all that God had done for them. And yet through all of that, they still did not believe. Throughout history, men and women, entire nation has seen the glory and the, and the, the wonders of God and have failed to come to a place of faith. And even by the time we get to Jesus' day, even in this story of Lazarus, people will not come to a place of faith. Some will. Some will get it. Some will perceive the presence of God. But others are going to run off and tell the Pharisees, man, you better check this guy. He is making you look bad. They will not come to a place of faith. And even today, I have seen over and over again, I call it the, the jailhouse conversion. I've visited people in jail. And they just, they just, if God will just get me out of this, if I don't have to go through five years, 10 years, if, if I can just, then I will, I will live my life for him only for God to do that. And they just walk away. 
And I've seen that through different aspects of people's lives. If God would just get me out of this mess, I'm in. Only for God to fix it, take care of it, and for them to walk away. Faith comes before the experience. Faith is the thing that allows us to perceive the presence of God. You cannot perceive anything from God unless you have, unless you have obtained, you are living and walking, unless you have faith. Because if you don't have it, all of those God things will go right over your head or they will just mean absolutely nothing to you. You know, for the last couple of years for our church, I've been praying I want to see miracles. You know what I mean? I mean, I want to see like I want to see like the power of God just radically come in and change people's lives. Um, just just do things that are just unexplainable. Things that that there is no way that we can explain away as coincidence, as medical science, whatever. Just, just God come in and just like whoa! We hear the angels, the skies open up, the beam of light comes down. It's like it's a miracle. But I believe I've been praying for the wrong thing. I believe what I need to be praying for, for us and for myself, is faith. That we would have, it's, it's the thing that we're missing, that we would have an, an on fire, vibrant, alive faith like a child. Faith. Because what did Jesus say? You got faith? You tell that mountain? Move, and it will. Never moved a mountain. I moved a pile of dirt once, but I had a shovel. Jesus also said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, <laughs> that's all it takes. I wonder how big my faith actually is. All I need is the size of a mustard seed. I am talking about the act of the Spirit. I'm talking about the, the connection of, of our spirit because it's only in our spirit that we could perceive beyond the ordinary in this life. And a spirit that is connected with God can perceive beyond the ordinary and look at things as, as extraordinary. See the presence of God all around us, to engage it, to just go, <gasps> and see the extraordinary in the ordinary. You know, this, this might sound a little strange, but that's okay. Um, faith does not try to explain away the mystery. That is God. Faith, faith perceives the mystery that is in a relationship with God, and presses into it, and engages it. Listen to the words of Jesus again. When they took away the stone, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is calling us. He is inviting us into a very, his very intimate relationship with God. He has prayed these words, not because if he didn't, God wouldn't show up, not because if he didn't, that, you know, nothing's going to happen. I got to make sure I go through the right prayer, make sure I, I get this all kind of figured out, make sure I go through the steps. No, no, no. He did not pray that for that reason. He prayed these things to show us that God controls and deals and handles and does everything, even when the Son of God is the one doing them. 
God is in control of everything. He demonstrates. He speaks his faith out loud for the purpose that people can recognize it and see it and possess their own faith. Imagine faith begets faith. And Jesus prays like it's, it's already been done. It's a done deal. Such confidence, such assurance. And so as I was kind of thinking through this whole idea of faith and prayer and prayer and faith and faith and faith and faith, I got to, I got to wondering if, if maybe, maybe we're going after the miraculous. Not only are we going after the miraculous in the wrong way, praying that God would do miracles, but maybe, maybe we go after, maybe we evangelize in the wrong way. I mean, hear me out. Like you have a choice. Um, we, we're called to share Jesus with people. We're called to share our faith, right? And go and tell people our story. Go and tell people about Jesus and encourage them in that. And that's, that's a really good thing. I mean, that's, that's very important. But then, then you have some, some people who, who just want to get people to say a prayer. Because, like, accepting Jesus is what you need to do. All right, here's a little rant I have. Jesus does not need to be accepted. He is not some God in, in a big line of gods going, pick me, pick me, pick, please, please, accept me. That is not, Jesus does not need to be accepted. Jesus needs to be completely surrendered to. And so we have these people that are just very impersonal. Man, if you get them, get them to say a prayer, oops. If you get them to say a prayer, then. Or then you have some that, that, that track snipe. You know, you know what track snipes? You know, little, little tracks, they're like little brochures that say turn or burn or Jesus or hell or, you know, those things that are just like, and they just throw them out there and, and they just kind of leave you to your own vices with that. You know, the cross over the, the cavern because we're, it, I'm going to get in trouble with this for, oh, but that's okay. Um, I don't think that's a very good way of sharing your faith. Okay, I lied. I think that's a really bad way of sharing your faith. Okay, I mean, I don't even think that's remotely any good because it just seems so impersonal. But, but, but we're, we're called to live our faith outside the walls of church. We're called to share our faith. But I think, but I think we have it wrong. I think, I think we're, we're doing it the wrong way. We define our faith as correct behavior. Like, like, like we have these, these behaviors that we have to adhere to, and by adhering to these correct behaviors, we're actually sharing our faith. Like Christians, Christians don't drink. And if you're in a situation where there's people drinking and you don't drink, you're sharing your faith. And Christians are supposed to be nice to people, at least to their faces. And then if you're not nice to people, then, then you're not sharing your faith. And, and we don't swear when other people are around. But, but when other people are around, I mean, we're, we got to make sure that we, even if they're like potty mouth and all over the place, we're going to share our faith by, by not engaging in those behaviors. We have to be aware of the movies that we watch and the music that we listen to. And the, and the list of acceptable faith living actions just goes on and on and on. And don't get me wrong. These things are important. The way we live our life, the way we reflect Jesus in our actions, in our everyday life is very important. But a changed heart doesn't come from moral activity. Right. No, it does. Wait, no. Moral activity does not change a heart. A changed heart affects the way you live. 
You ain't clear on that? I messed that right up. And that's okay, because I got excited, and sometimes it happens. Um, so, do you, do you, and that's, that's just a sermon for, for a different day. But we focus so much on our behavior, and we focus on the behavior of other people. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're acting. Like, we expect non-Christians to act like Christians anyway. But, but look at the way they're, they're living their life. And we, we focus on that so much that when we mess up, people jump right on us, man. People jump right on us. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy does not breed or share faith. And I will say this. Every Christian is hypocritical in their behavior. If you're not, then you are Jesus and you don't need him anymore. All of us are hypocritical in our behavior. And I would say that before we share our faith, we actually have to live it. And if we're going to live our faith, then we, we better have a, a decent understanding of what it means. And I'm not big on, on steps. I'm not big on trying to, trying to give you a pattern to follow. But, but I, wanna, I, want to, um, I want you to wrestle with something over the next few weeks. I want, I want you to try to understand this truth. First, the beginning of faith is understanding that it has nothing or very little to do with moral deism trying to put the way your actions way above who Jesus or God is. It has very little to do with that. But I want you to start recognizing this one little truth, that for the disciple of Jesus Christ, for the one that has made the commitment to follow Jesus, become his disciple, that you have not just accepted him, but you have surrendered your life to him. For the disciple of Jesus Christ, because of him and because of him only because of his work on the cross only not because you have achieved good enough status not because you are more special than anyone else because you are holier than someone else because you are more spiritual because you know god better because you can regurgitate chapter in verse very easily none of those things only because of the work of jesus christ on the cross based solely on that work that god the creator of all things, your father, this father always hears you. Isn't this what Jesus just said, Father? You always hear me. Is that the beginning of faith, just to, just to grab onto that little truth and say, man, God, he always hears me. When you're, when you're crying out to him in your brokenness, God always hears you. When you're joyful and, and praising him, God always hears you. When you're being completely stupid, God always hears you. What if, what if we began to live our lives with that little piece of truth? Would your life look any different? Would your prayer life look any different? Would your faith look any different? Jesus, he, he stood there, right? And, and he said, he said I, I don't pray this for, for my benefit. He knew God heard him. But he prayed it for, for the benefit of others so, so that other people would know who had sent him. And so what if we began to live that truth that, that God hears us? Would the world begin to know who has sent us? 
I'm afraid that there are too many disciples of Christ sitting in this room who pray every day in hopes that God hears them. I want you to understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, he always hears you. And that should begin to build your faith. And as I was trying to think about and, and you know, you know how, how, do I, how do I connect this to celebrating communion? And, and I'm like, oh, no. You know, and, and maybe, maybe for us today, communion is, okay, if, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that he died for your sins and you believe that he has opened a, the door that you can come into the presence of God and he has reconciled you to the creator of all things and that, and that in him you've been clothed in Christ and you've been, you've been forgiven. If you believe all of those things, then maybe this morning what I would like you to think about, what I'd like you to meditate on, what I'd like you to just kind of begin to mull over in your brain is because of that, Jesus, our God, always hears me. And we're going to celebrate what Christ did because it's this table that represents what Christ did for us. And because of this table, Christian, God hears you. God hears you. And so we're just going to kind of make this, I guess, simple. Um, Mark's going to start some music playing. Just, just begin that dialogue. Maybe there's something you need to pray this, this morning. You need to pray it in confidence. You need to pray it like God has heard you. You need to pray it like it's already been given to you. The deal is done. With that confidence, with that Or maybe, maybe someone here just needs to repent for their faithlessness. They just don't believe the things that God has promised. And maybe, maybe some in here need to move from just accepting Jesus to actually surrendering to him. I don't know. I'm going to let the Spirit work on each one of you. I'm not going to try to push it in any direction, which I already tried to push it in any direction, but we'll see what the Spirit does anyway. And so as you're ready... Come up and, and you can take take the elements and then sit down and, and I would I would uh, encourage you to continue in your dialogue with God and then when everybody has taken uh, we'll we'll take communion together.